Hello and welcome to Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast, a podcast to inspire you about outdoor travel and activities in the UK and across the world. I'm Amy. And I'm Hannah. And thanks for joining us for our latest episode. In this Ask Cicerone episode, we're going to focus on long distance walking in the UK and discuss the equipment from footwear to midge spray. To explore this and offer her advice, we are joined by Leslie Williams, avid long distance walker in the UK and worldwide. Leslie Williams is the marketing director at Cicerone and has a lifelong passion for the outdoors and mountains. Her explorations have included many trips to the Alps and Spain, including memorable overseas treks on the GR5, Chamonix to Zermatt and the GR1. She has an ongoing project to walk all of Britain's national trails. She is also the author of Cicerone's guidebook to the Tour of the Lake District and co-author of Walking in Zermatt and Zarsfey. So because we've had uh, COVID lockdowns this year, there's been a lot of people that have started walking for the first time or they've discovered walking as a hobby and holidays are a little bit limited at the moment. And it might be a really good time for people to start thinking about trying a long distance walk as a, a step up, I guess, from doing day walks. Yeah. And if you haven't done a long distance walk before, you might be wondering, you know, how to even get started with that. And I think, you know, long distance walking in general is a really great way um, to explore a landscape and to explore parts of the country that you might not have visited before. We're talking in this episode to Leslie about equipment, but there's also lots of other things that you've got to consider, like which route you're going to pick. So there's lots of resources on the Cicerone website to help you out with that. Um, Different articles detailing all the different routes in the UK to help you choose the right one for you, because some of them are much more remote, whereas others you can stay in a B&B every night. So there's a real range of stuff available within the UK and hopefully something to suit every kind of walker. So there's a real range of stuff available within the UK and hopefully something to suit every kind of walker. I think even for people who've never done a a long distance walk before, they could just choose a a shorter one with more facilities and and actually they'd be fine. If you can do five days of walking in a row, then you could take on one of the the shorter national trails or or something that where actually there's lots of provision for hotels. And you don't even need to do all of a long distance walk. So you could do three days of the Southwest Coast Path or something and just build it up that way. So for individual walks, there's a lot of information on our website. There are articles about walks you can fit into a week's holiday, but there's also specific advice about particular routes. But what we're going to talk about here is more general for anybody planning a a long distance walk in the UK and what you might need to take in terms of equipment and what you might need to wear just to be the most comfortable. And the good news is that we're not going to recommend buying tons of stuff. It's quite simple advice. You can manage. I'm pretty sure that Leslie suggests one long sleeve T-shirt and one short sleeve T-shirt. So it doesn't need to be a big I'm going to start long distance walking and I'm going to need to spend £400 on equipment. You can do a couple of days with the equipment you've got and just give it a go and see if you like it. Especially if you're going on a long distance walk and you're staying in B&Bs every night or hotels or hostels or something like that and you're not carrying a tent and cooking equipment as well, it does become you know, a series of day walks, doesn't it? You can take your normal day sack with, you know, extra clothes and that sort of thing and a few extra provisions. But I don't think it's quite as scary as setting off and thinking, oh, I've got to carry a tent and I've got to be fully self-sufficient for my entire trip. 
I was trying to think as well. I don't think there's anywhere in the UK where you'd have to take food and water for three days. You know, potentially the Cape Wrath Trail, you know, that's a, a tough route for experienced walkers. But there's plenty where you set off in the morning and you've left your hotel and then you're walking and you stop for lunch at a lovely cafe and then you walk for a few more hours to your next hotel. There is, of course, you can always go with a holiday company like Contours. And we had a chat in a previous podcast with Ben Rorton from Contours about the differences of planning a long distance walk yourself or choosing to go with a holiday company. And that might suit some people. And it's just whatever, whatever you prefer and whatever's going to help you enjoy your walk the most. I know that when we did the coast to coast, we took our own sandwiches and stocked up at shops and stuff along the way. But the number of cafes that we walked past at lunchtime that I really wish we'd been able to stop in and have a proper (laughs) (laughs) proper lunch. Because, yeah, on on a route like that, there are so many options. I think this year in particular as well, the cafes and the restaurants will really appreciate the custom. You know, there's a lot of infrastructure that is built up in the UK around walkers and they haven't been visited for a long time. So... You know, if you can pop in and have a cup of tea at one of them, I'm sure they'd be really happy to see you. And the the other thing, if you are thinking about doing one of these routes and you are wanting to camp as you're going along, Hannah's mentioned a previous episode we've done with Contours, but we also have an episode with Paddy Dillon where he talks a lot about lightweight backpacking kit. So that's probably worth listening to as well if you're wanting advice on, you know, lightweight tents and that sort of thing. And uh, speaking of other episodes, this is our second Ask Cicerone episode. We did a previous one also with Leslie about various different things, but that included talking about the difference between the Tour of the Lake District and the Cumbria Way, which was a question that we had from one of our members on Cicerone Connect. But we are wanting to make this into a series. So this one is about equipment and long distance walking in the UK. We've also got an upcoming episode, which is coming out soon, with Joe Williams, which is all about navigation on long distance routes, but also generally when you're out on the hill or on the trail. Yeah, the Ask Cicerone episodes are designed around questions that we've been asked, either in our Facebook group, Cicerone Connect, or in emails to live at cicerone.co.uk. All things we've just been asked over the years that we know that customers are always interested in. So if you have a a specific question that you want to ask us, it can be a short, quick question that's easy to answer. But please do let us know. We're really lucky to have a very experienced team here at Cicerone. And between the folks here at Cicerone, we've got people who have walked and trekked and cycled and run and caved and kayaked across probably most of the world so yeah please do let us have your questions and we'll try and include them in a upcoming episode so now we're going to hear from leslie all about equipment this is all based on her own experience gained from many years of walking um, but just as a quick disclaimer before we begin it does in the end come down to your personal preference this is just some things to get you started some things to think about on the equipment that you might want to take in both summer and winter while you're on a long distance route within the UK so we're joined by Leslie Williams long time walker and hiker all around the world so thank you Leslie for joining us today hello there to start us off Leslie which of the long distance routes in the UK have you walked I've walked the coast to coast, the Cotswold Way, the West Highland Way, the Cumbria Way, tour of the Lake District more than once, uh, the Dales Way and the South Downs Way 
and then sections of things like the Southwest Coast Path, the Pembrokeshire Coast Path. That's probably about it, in fact. Yeah, quite a lot. Fair bit. <laughs> Apart from the tour of the Lake District, because I think that's cheating when it's actually a book that you've written. Which one would you say was your favourite? Probably the Coast to Coast. It starts at St Bees on the west coast of Cumbria and it finishes at Robin Hood's Bay on the North Sea coast. It's a really varied route, so you get the best of everything that you can possibly think of in terms of landscape in the north of England. You've got coast, then you've got the Lake District, then you're going through the Yorkshire Dales and then up into the North York Moors and then finally the North Sea coast as you finish. And what would you say is necessary equipment for walking in the UK if we start thinking about summer first? For long distance walking, I would certainly make sure that the clothing that you take is is sort of combinations of layers. Don't take too much. So you really only need sort of two base layers, shall we say. Your boots, obviously, a couple of pairs of socks um, so that you can change them over and wash them each night. Ditto any underwear. Water and food. Your waterproofs, if it's in the summer, a sun hat and sunscreen, um, but also some sort of hat and buff for when it's actually normal UK walking summer, i.e. cold, windy, wet. Um, don't forget things like first aid kit and a kind of an emergency blanket stroke shelter type thing. Um, map, compass, phone. I always take walking poles. They're good because they kind of give you a little bit more support when you're walking downhill. They're also quite good when you're going up hills. You can sort of push through and, and sort of help with the uphill process. But also if you sort of say in the Lake District or somewhere like that, where you might have to do a few stream crossings or anything, then it's pretty invaluable. You've got a bit more balance uh, or a lot more balance. Yeah, I quite like poles for testing how solid the ground is, because I find out of anyone I walk with, I'm the one that finds the really deep, muddy bits of the path. I don't know why. It's always me that ends up going like knee high into a pile of bog. And if I've got my if I've got my poles and I can just kind of prod around in front of me and find a shallower bit. Yeah, they they came in handy on that South Downs way where I could figure out quite how deep the mud was and whether it was worth sort of balancing on a barbed wire fence to try and sort of shuffle across. And what about rucksacks? You don't need a big pack. You probably only need sort of 30, 35 litre size pack. That's if you're not camping or anything like that. That's if you're staying in B&Bs or hostels or whatever. If you're carrying more that needs to fit into a bigger pack, you're probably carrying too much. I think it's fair to say that most people probably take too much, don't they? Yeah. Over the years, we've we've learnt we had massive rucksacks the first time we did a long distance route, which curiously ended up being the Tour of Mont Blanc years ago. And we carried way too much stuff because we didn't know what to expect. But yeah, it's never been quite as heavy since. Would you say you can probably wear the same pair of boots all year round in the UK or not? Yeah, I would have thought so. Yes. Yeah, I, I certainly do. But they're lightweight boots. I mean, if you're a devotee of, you know, sort of heavyweight leather boots, then you probably don't need those in the summer months. You can get away with something lighter. But my boots are fairly light anyway, so just stick with one pair. And would you ever wear just trail shoes? 
when you're doing a long distance walk in the UK? Personally, I wouldn't, but I think some people can. My ankle, I've got one ankle that was sprained badly years and years ago. So I just tend to think in terms of boots being a little bit more stable, you know, so that they don't turn it over accidentally or something like that. Yeah, but you can get some really, really lightweight walking boots now. Yes, yeah. The one, the ones I've got are, are really lightweight and they also have really good sort of thick soles so that you, you, you get a lot of sort of shock absorbing, which help ankles, knees, everything all the way through. Yeah, I've just put... I've just bought a new pair of walking boots and they're incredibly light, but I'm a little bit suspicious that they're not going to last very long because I've replaced a pair that were 15 years old and kind of were falling apart. And I'm really, really sad to see them go. And there's this new pair that they're comfortable straight out of the box. They're comfortable. They're really, really nice. They're really light. They feel like I'm wearing a pair of trainers. And I think, will they be with me in 15 years' time? I don't know. Probably not. We, we shall see. Yeah, the ones I've got, the, the sole does wear through eventually. And there's always a bit of a deliberation as to whether you send them off to get new soles or not. But that's the price that you pay for having a, a sole that is really quite grippy, really grippy. Even on wet rock, it sort of tries its best, um, but it does wear out, particularly when I've been bumbling around in the Alps and things like that. But it's it's worth it. You have also walked some of these routes in winter. I suppose the only one that I walked sort of particularly in winter was the South Downs Way. I was looking for something to do for about a week in winter. It was sort of mid-February and I thought, well, the South Coast is likely to be the best bet. So I picked the South Downs Way and it was good. It was a different experience. It was reasonably cold. I had bits of snow and rain a massive amount of mud but it was also very very interesting from the point of view that you've got better views in some ways because the leaves on the trees weren't out so you could see through the trees but you also didn't have that many people on the route at all so anybody you did meet was you know it was quite fun and you'd stop and chat and that sort of thing the facilities were still open and mostly anyway so yeah it was good yeah, I would have thought everywhere would be closed in the winter on the South Downs Way, but you managed to find places to stay. Yes, definitely. Yeah, not a problem. I think it's just such a popular sort of national park generally, and actually all the places to stay, there's nothing actually on the route because the route is sort of on the top of the downs, and then every time you want to stay, you actually drop down into a village or, or a small town or whatever. When I think about walking in the UK, the winters in the UK it's safe to say, are not like the winters in some other countries. And it seems to change from warm and wet to colder and wet, but still pretty mild. How does what you need and the equipment and the clothing you take with you, how does that change from summer to winter in the UK? In the UK, I suppose it's more to do with probably adding another warm layer to your clothes that you pack and or wear making sure that the waterproofs that you're taking are the best heavyweight waterproofs that you can possibly afford as opposed to some sort of lighter summer weight stuff that um, it doesn't matter if you start getting a bit wet later in the day. And also swapping things like sun hat and sun cream for really good warm hat, probably even a sort of really thick neck covering of some sort. 
good thick gloves as opposed to sort of little thin things that you just pull on occasionally. That's probably the main difference. Just making sure that you can keep warm and that you can keep as dry as you possibly can. Yeah, I'm glad you said as dry as you possibly can, because whatever waterproofs I've ever bought, I always get wet at some point. They just, they don't seem to ever stay completely dry. It seems to be as dry as you can. Yeah, water will get in everywhere and it'll it'll usually get in through your neck somehow or other, even if you've got the hood up. I mean, when I did the South Sounds Way, I took a Paramo rather than anything lighter because that then it sort of covered a layer of insulation, shall we say, as well as being really, really reliable. I had a day's walking with a friend from Paramo while I was on that particular route and she had Paramo trousers as well. And we had the wettest afternoon that particular day when she joined me and she and I were both dry when we got to the other end and went into the pub to have a cup of tea and pretty much everybody else in the pub was wringing out their clothing and it was horrible. (laughs) We were very smug. (laughs) Yeah, staying dry on a, a wet day. I remember when you did that trip actually and just the mud. The mud. My gosh, there was a lot of mud. The, the mud was pretty good, yeah. <laughs> so you need good boots in the well in the winter. <laughs> yeah. So most of the walking in the UK is fairly safe and easy. There are some areas that are a bit more challenging. So are there any areas where you'd be walking in winter that you'd need ice axes and crampons for long distance routes? Yeah, arguably. So Lake District, for example, would be you you could be walking in the Lake District all winter. And if it's the sort of winter where there isn't that much snow around or whatever, you're probably okay just with walking poles. But in a winter where there's a lot of snowfall, you would be advised certainly to have crampons or if not crampons, you know, micro spikes or something similar. Something that gives you more grip on the ground because it can get really icy the minute more than about six people walk along a particular path. Ice axe is probably not necessary because the long distance paths go on paths that you're not actually tending to do, you know, sort of more challenging ridge routes or anything like that. The long distance routes don't tend to do that. But microspikes would be really sensible and poles definitely, if nothing else. And then in summer, I know we've said like a hat and sun cream, but there are some areas of the UK where taking a a midge net for your head might be a really good idea. Yeah. Um, Anything north of the Scottish border, a midge net from mid-May through to more or less the end of September is pretty essential. (laughs) Unless you're one of these incredibly rare people who aren't particularly attractive to midges. But I, I certainly am, and I'm not scared of putting a midge net on. Um, the alternative is being eaten alive and itchy for days on end. It's not nice. More or less is kind of the Scottish border. They seem to, I think they seem to be sort of migrating slightly southwards over the years, but the real Scotch midges are, yeah, north of the border. We could probably have a whole separate episode on midges yeah. and everyone's top tips on how to deal with midges and which cream is working at the moment. And <laughs> Yeah, they, they always say um, Avon skin's so soft, don't they? And it, and it sort of does work up to a point, I reckon. And it's slightly less chemical feeling than, than a lot of the other stuff. 
Thanks, Leslie. This is brilliant. Finally, are there any other kind of little bits of equipment that you might just pop in your rucksack that you think are really handy and you don't want to forget? A bit of gaffer tape, you know, duct tape, a small section of that that you just wrap around your pole can get you out of all sorts of trouble. For example, you could, you know, you could fix something on your boot temporarily. You can stick together something or other else. Jonathan always takes a tiny, tiny bottle of super glue so that if his glasses fall apart, he can glue them back together again, which he might have to have as a temporary fix for, you know, a couple of weeks or something like that. A spare boot lace because you probably won't need to replace the boot lace, but the boot lace is a length of string effectively that will tie up all sorts of other things. Um, years ago, we were out, we were doing the Altafia one with another family, and one of the people, their whole sole of their boot kind of delaminated itself from the rest of the boot. And yeah, he just finished two days worth of walking with his boot stuck together with a boot lace wrapped a couple of times around. So they're just sort of silly little extra bits that you, you, you don't want too many extras. But <laughs> A bit of gaffer tape, though. I mean, that fixes everything. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, brilliant. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast. Let us know what you think by leaving reviews on your podcast platform or emailing us live at cicerone.co.uk. We'd really love to hear from you. To keep up to date with the podcast, please follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast app or provider. You can also listen on the Cicerone website, www.cicerone.co.uk, where you can browse our full range of guidebooks, read our articles or sign up to our newsletter. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. So in the meantime, search for at Cicerone Press on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can also join our Facebook community group, Cicerone Connect, to connect with other outdoor enthusiasts. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you soon.